You're looking for somewhere new and interesting to go on for your next backpacking trip? Maybe another continent, maybe Japan. What would that be like? Let's find out. Joining us today is our friend Samir. And Samir has been on here a couple of times now. He's talked about a few different trails he's hiked, most notably the Arizona Trail. But this time he's going to share with us a very unique experience. We've never had anyone on who has hiked in this region before. And as you know, I'm always looking for people to come on and share their experiences with their international travels. So Samir, welcome back to the to the podcast. Welcome back to Papa Bear Hikes. Hey, thanks for having me again. I'm excited to be back on and talk about my most recent, you know, hiking travels. So Samir, you were hiking in Japan. You found a trail and went to Japan to do your hike. Tell us first, what motivated you to want to go hike in, in Japan? Well, I guess I, I haven't even talked to you about this, I don't think, but my I got married about a month before I started this hike, so a few months ago. And um, my uh, my wife's family is from Japan. And so while we were kind of figuring out summer plans, we were like, okay, well, we've been together for four years. We just got married. I need to meet the other part of her family in Japan that I haven't been able to meet. So we were planning that part of the trip, but I was like really itching to actually get some hiking done because I've, I've, I've read up a lot and seen a lot of videos of the hiking culture in Japan. And it kind of seems to be in like, I guess you could say like a golden age or something like it's having, it's so popular and there's a lot of like cottage companies and ultralight brands that have been popping up and getting notoriety. Um, so I was looking up hikes that I could do and I was originally planning on one called the 88 Temples Pilgrimage. Um, which is in the island of Shikoku and it takes it's like 800 miles in total so it takes a, a long time and I wasn't sure that I'd have that much time and I'm, I'm also not proficient in Japanese yet and so I was getting a little nervous about doing that length and then I found this hike the Kamano Kodo um, which is also like an ancient pilgrimage route they're both over a thousand years old um, but this one is a lot shorter and there's different routes you could do um, basically it's a the route I did is called the Nakahechi route and it it um is uh the old imperial route so it's the route that emperors and royalty used to take um into the mountains of this part of Japan the key peninsula and uh they would visit these three uh, major shrines as well as a lot of you know smaller ones and and other like um religious sites along the way and so I was like that sounds really interesting to me it's less than 50 miles so I knew that I could actually finish it in a reasonable amount of time um and then I kind of like learned more about it just before I left and while I was there but uh that like I said like just under 50 miles and I think around 16,000 feet of elevation gain so it uh it's not just a some easy you know day hike and that's what I was looking for was something where I could start and finish kind of like a through hike where I don't have to go back to you know where I was going to be uh, every day was a different day. That's what I was looking for. And this this uh, this hike, the Nakahechi route, the Kumano Kodo ended up being uh, perfect for that. Well, let me, before we go any further, congratulate you on your wedding, you and your, your bride. <laughs> you. That's great. That's great. <clears throat> uh, Appreciate that. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> right. So traveling to Japan, you know, you've traveled across the country. You've, you've done the long trail. You've done other trails that have put you in a position where you have to board an airplane to get to your destination. 
traveling to Japan with your your gear, did that was was there any any challenges travel wise, logistics wise that you didn't experience staying within the continental United States, going overseas to a different country? Yeah, I always forget like um I when I take a flight with my backpacking gear, I always try to pack my trekking poles inside the bag. Um cuz I always remember like some people online saying like, oh, you can't take a hiking pole on a, on a plane. Like you don't want to take that after you've checked your bag because then you'll have to either mail it or leave your gear behind. That's, you know, pointy or stuff like that. And so just based off that, I was like, what is this going to be like? What is it going to look like me bringing everything I need in one backpack, but for four weeks, because the hike I planned a week, but I was going to be in Japan visiting family for three more weeks. So I was like kind of uh, nervous to, leave something that I might want behind something like that but I actually because I usually I did my other hikes in the Hyperlite Mountain Gear uh, 3400 Southwest which is like I think 55 liters max like it, it can fit that much or pack down to like 40 so I already knew like oh well you're not gonna want to take like all of the gear that you took on those hikes because it's a different kind of climate and everything um so I, I downscaled to a um, a Waymark, I think Evolve pack. I forget if it's EVLV, something like, there's a new pack they came out with and it was a 40 liter or 38 liter, 35 liter. Um, but that's actually my, my wife's backpack. And we found a size that would fit her and me that like I could use on hikes, but she could also be the primary user of it. So I downscaled my, my backpack size but I only did that because I anticipated not bringing um, a, a quilt and a tent um, like I did on all my other hikes. And those are usually like pretty, they're not heavy, but they take up a lot of space in my bag. So, um, and I left those behind because I knew on this hike, you can stay, you can camp if you'd like to um, in certain areas, but it's more common, I think, to stay in like the accommodations along the way. They're called uh, Ryokan and Minchuku. Um, you basically you, you get there towards the end of the day and then you um, ideally would have like a reservation because it, it's a pretty popular hike a lot of the times they're booked up and then they'll serve your dinner they'll give you a, a Japanese style room with a um, futon bed sheet and uh, they give you a kimono that you can then use to like take it uh, you can wear it to have dinner you can wear it to an onsen which is like a public public bath public hot tub um, so I decided to stay at uh, the Ryokans because I was like, that sounds very accommodating not to have to worry about packing my food, to be able to have a nice shower and then hot tub at the end of the day with people who are used to people just rolling in at the end of the day, leaving in the morning. Um, so that's the, that's what I decided to do. And because of that, I, my pack was a lot smaller, a lot lighter. Um, and I didn't really have to plan the logistics of long food carries, anything like that. So I just basically downsized my gear for the hike and traveling with it internationally was pretty easy. I just checked my bag um, and I didn't have any problems there. If they lost my bag, I would have run into some problems definitely, but I was fortunate that everything was in the same place I left it when I landed in Osaka. I went through that last year. I went out to, I had to go to San Francisco to meet my son. I was hiking around Lake Tahoe. I did Tahoe Rim Trail and that is stressful sitting there waiting for your bag, right? 
Yeah, it's so it's stressful even when you're not hiking. But then when you realize everything you need for the coming weeks is in that bag, you're like, I hope nothing went wrong because I've been lucky with not losing bags, but it happens so often with people. Yes, and those are the things that started going through my mind while I'm sitting there. While I, well, I as I walk up, it's like I've I've never had an issue, but people have, <laughs> and I hope this isn't my first time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm we're thinking, lucky. <laughs> right. It's not just my luggage either, right? I've got all this money, you know, the money you start thinking about that you have in there with your gear, right? You're, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, with me, I'm thinking, wow, I've got tent, sleeping bag. I've got like well over a thousand dollars worth of backpacking gear that would be gone if that happened. Yeah. Well, now you you talked about the accommodations and uh, the meals, and it's sounding uh, a little bit like uh, Caminos. And people do Camino de Santiago, the Camino de Portugal, that you're kind, you're hiking from destination to destination and you're you're eating your meals as you go along. So that's a I would say culturally a, a very unique difference between hiking in Japan and what we have here in the States. Yeah, it's it's a lot different. And I'm glad you brought up the Camino because it's actually the Camino de Santiago and Kumano Kodo they're the two UNESCO World Heritage Pilgrimages. So um, they actually have a program called the Dual Pilgrim Program where you get like a special, I think, medallion or certificate if you if you complete both. Um, so I did meet some people in Japan that were actually uh, intending to hike the Camino after or had just finished the Camino and were, were hiking Kumano Koto to try to complete that dual pilgrim um, qualification and get their certificate. Um, But yeah, I I don't know too much about the Camino, but what I do know is basically that what you had just explained, kind of like the accommodation style and um, kind of like a urban hiking mixed with countryside hiking. And yeah, they definitely uh, both hikes share that. And that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool because even though they're both different than maybe what people are used to with backpacking in in the U.S., it's uh it's fun to switch it up and do that because although it felt it feels like cheating to not take a tent and rely on that kind of griminess like oh I guess I'll hope hopefully I find a good site at the end of the day it's like different to then be like oh well I have my pre-booked accommodation and I have dinner and breakfast in the morning and nice warm uh shower like it's definitely a different but it's welcomed when you're like in an unfamiliar place and you have some sort of comfort to look forward to so I, I look forward to that and talking to the people that ran the accommodations was fun too. Yeah, because I've looked into the Camino for me to hike at some point. And yeah, I've struggled with wrapping my head around this whole idea with no tent, no sleeping pad. <laughs> <laughs> I could fit what I would need on that trip. You're, you're, what I'm hearing is I could fit it into a 30 liter bag and be okay and still have room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people, they'll... Uh, I did meet people that had their full gear, but they either didn't use it or didn't realize like, oh, well, the because you can't just camp anywhere. Like a lot of Japan is someone's land. Um, and so, they, but there were pretty spaced out campsite, like at least where I would stay each night in each town, there was a campsite nearby. And I was like, oh, I could have done that. But it was nice after like being outside all day to know that I was going to, you know, have air conditioning or something because it was kind of hot while I was there too. So I definitely, uh, it was nice to also not carry that, that extra gear and know that that's why I had like a tiny backpack on. I was like, oh yeah, that's because you don't have your outdoor stuff. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And I'm listening to say it's nice every day to go to somewhere where you know you're going to be able to take a shower, right? Those of us who hike here in the States, it's like, well, every five days, every four, depending on the pace you hike at. For me, it's usually about every five days, I'm going to be able to go somewhere and have a shower and a bed to sleep in. <laughs> yeah. Over there for me, it was pretty much every day. And it was welcomed because like I sweat a lot and it was hot. And so I was like, every single day, it was just like, a challenge to make sure I had enough water. Like I had to like pack out a lot of extra water and, and I don't think, and I didn't take a water filter, although I could have, but I didn't, I'm not knowledgeable about the waterways that I was passing. Like I didn't know if they were polluted or anything like that. Um, but uh, it seems doable to hike. I will say if like anyone's listening and they're interested in the hike, but they're like, well, I don't want to stay in accommodations or I only want to stay in like one or two. And I want to champ also. There's a, a mixture you can do once you like plan out your hike. You, you could do any mixture of the two or just, you know, one or the other, which is cool because you have the option as opposed to like, no, you can only do this. This is the only way to do this hike. It, it gives it a little more uh, unique, like freedom for you to choose what you're going to do or what you're feeling like doing. We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, every filter is individually tested three times through their process. I've been using their permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they're likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible, high quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And that's why you know, I, I really enjoy having people come on and talk about these different experiences or because those of us in the States, we, we know one way of backpacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this uh, culturally. Now you said your wife, I'm, I'm assuming your wife speaks Japanese. She has family yeah, over there, but you family. don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? It was definitely, it, it's, it's encouraged me like in retrospect, it's encouraged me to to learn at a quicker pace because I want to, like, after meeting so many family members, like, new families to me, I want to be able to communicate with them the next time I'm there, so I've, I've started to study, uh, study more, and, and, uh, I would say, like, if you're planning to hike over there, it's good to try to have a little, a, a foundation, uh, for Japanese, like, just so that you can communicate basic things, and then people will hear in your accent that you're not, you know, a native speaker, they'll try to help you out as best as they can. Um, but it helps to know, like, you know, the vocabulary related to your hike, like bathrooms or, or where, where is the train stop, stuff like that. It helps a lot to, to know that either to comfort you or to make, you know, actually in a, in a worst case scenario, you, you're able to communicate. Um, cause I think a lot of people in the U S and maybe Europe as well. Um, like specifically the U S though, cause that's where I have experience with this we kind of think like, oh, we, we travel to other countries. Well, they know English. Or if you travel to Europe, most of them do know English or, the, you know, they'll somebody around you in the restaurant does. But in Japan, it's not really the case. Like a lot of people know English, obviously, but there's so many people in that country. And it's like, 
most people don't know English, so you, you, you shouldn't just expect someone to uh, put up with your, like, your request for more knowledge about, you know, what you're going to do or your request for, oh, where is this? Where is that? It's hard for someone to help you if they don't know what you're saying, but you're in, you know, their country. So I think it's good to have a little foundation with the language. Um, it was definitely difficult for me not to. And then when I finished the hike and my wife arrived in Japan, because I got there before her to do the hike, it was like a world of difference for like, I was eating more different and better foods because I wasn't, you know, nervous to go inside of a restaurant where they didn't obviously speak English because she, she could bridge that gap. Um, so it's definitely a different experience with that. Like you can't, you know, I, I used a, the Google translate app a lot. Like I, I paid for uh, cell phone data for a month in Japan and I just had a, a, a widget on my phone on the lock screen that you'd press it and it'd go to the Google Translate photo where you can then take a photo of Japanese. And as long as you have service, it'll just immediately translate it on the photo, which isn't, you know, perfect, but it, it helped a lot. Um, it, it actually, it helped a significant amount. Like I'd recommend anyone traveling to try to use Google Translate's like photo feature, as long as they have data. Um, but yeah, once my wife arrived, it was a lot easier to kind of get around. And I realized I was able to do more things. So you wouldn't want to limit your experience by knowing absolutely nothing, I think. Yeah, I'm a picky eater, right? So I know my fear would be ordering the wrong food. Like I can't eat tuna fish. It's a big joke yeah. in my house, but I can't. <laughs> I, my, so my fear would be I'm going to accidentally order tuna fish. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I like for me, it was I had been to Japan four years ago and I knew that there's a lot of dishes that um, contain like pork or pork products and I don't eat pork. And so it was like, I, like there was a lot of foods that I knew I couldn't eat or I had to limit myself or even buying like the one or two resupplies I did for myself at grocery stores. I was like using my translator app constantly to try to like translate the ingredients list. So it, it helps if you're a picky eater, definitely to know like, what do you, what do I not eat? What do I, what am I looking forward to eating? Cause then you can just kind of, you know, steer your trip in that direction or plan your meals out like accordingly like that um but that's why i'd say yeah like a little a little foundation helps at least uh if you're if you're picky like us right uh, and in your case yeah yeah you i mean you can unknowingly have pork in a meal mm -hmm. you can eat the whole meal and then not even know it was in there so yeah that's that's not good either right that's, yeah <laughs> i mean you know whether you you know it's so yeah i i agree with you now what i've heard from people that have at least been to like Europe, maybe South America, it's just a courtesy thing to to make an attempt to not assume yeah. that people are going to be able to speak English. Like I said, we have this paradigm in the United States that everybody can understand us, right? We, you know, we'll just start speaking. Did you find that the people were uh, sympathetic or helpful with you when they figured out that you you weren't fluent or knew almost no Japanese at all? It's amazing because. Uh, and I think a lot of people hear this about Japan, but it's probably the most like accommodating and kind place I've ever been. Like there's like a cultural attitude towards, you know, not being rude and to be helpful to someone in need and like a collective kind of, if someone's struggling, like you, you should help them. Uh, so anytime that I ran into like a language barrier problem, the people I was talking to, it's not like anybody rudely like walked away or just like rolled their eyes at me and, or something. Like I never had one experience like that. I 
people would try their best with me. And if they, we couldn't communicate, they would just walk me all the way to the place that they were trying to show me or tell me about. Um, so I felt like, and that's really comforting too, to like not feel like you're imposing on a country or on a, on a, cause a lot of the communities are kind of rural, small towns. Um, so it was nice to not feel like I'm imposing. I don't know if I was, but uh, I've never like been received with that much like kindness. Um, I've been to other places. A lot of people go to like Western Europe and not knowing like in Berlin, I didn't know German. And I remember like some people being really rude about me and like, why are you here if you don't you can't even speak it? Like, I felt like even more worried about that in Japan, but it was never an issue. So I never actually like was too nervous to ask for help or to kind of, you know, be like, well, I'm, I'm a little lost. Like maybe just ask someone or look lost and someone might come up and, and ask me if I need any help. And I never once had an issue with that, especially at the, uh, places I stayed like all the accommodations I think they're just so used to people knowing zero Japanese and so a lot of those places either knew English or enough to communicate and even like a lot of kids that like or like uh maybe like teenagers or like early 20s that I had met that would start conversations with me I could tell they were trying to practice their English and then we'd get to the part of the conversation where I'd be like oh how did you learn English and they'd just say from movies or from music and it was just like that blew my mind I'd be like wow you are pretty good at speaking English for just knowing it from that um so you might meet people who don't know any English or you might meet people who know a little or and want to practice it but either way you don't really at least in my experience didn't I didn't have to feel too uncomfortable or like deserted like nobody was I wasn't going to be able to you know <clears throat> ask any questions or communicate with anybody I never ha once had that issue in any day Mm -hmm. this experience wasn't like taking you out of your home state of arizona and going to vermont this was mm -hmm. you were going into a not only was it you know everything you know the physically different but the language is different uh, were you nervous about that how did that play into this when you were like i'm thinking how what was the airplane what was the flight like going over there as you mm -hmm. were you know thinking about you're going into a foreign land where the language the writing everything's different I don't know why I'm like this, but it, none of that really hits me until like I'm into place, like doing Arizona trail or Colorado trail. I remember like day three, I would be like, well, you're actually doing this. This is harder than what you like imagined. That's kind of like for this Kumano Kota hike, I remember my, my wife and like her, her, uh, my in-laws were like worried for me and they're like, well, she would like remind me like, oh yeah my parents are kind of worried they're, they're anxious about your your trip and then I like I'm on the plane it's still not hitting me and then I land and once I land I'm like oh <laughs> like everything looks different everything is written different and uh I was lucky enough that like my, my wife and her family are like really good planners I guess because they just kind of planned out my entire like stays and all of that and so I didn't really have to deal with the language barrier and like planning um where I was going to stay and everything so it was like I could be confused for the day as long as I have self-service and can go look at this address for my itinerary um but I could imagine like if I didn't have that if I was just like landing with no no accommodations booked and no actual thought out plan um it would be pretty frustrating um and which is why I think I would advise most people not to take it lightly and to prepare earlier whether that's practicing Japanese or 
just pre-booking stuff. There's a, I forget the website. I think it's something like kumanokoto.com. Um, it's just a great resource for looking at maps, planning your route, but also you can book accommodations through there and you can book them in like chunks so that it's not just, like, oh, I'm, let me book this night. And then hopefully the next night where I'm planning to be is, is open. Like you book the whole thing. So, and if there's any problems with the itinerary, they'll email you and be like, we decided to book you at this other place because the one you requested was full. It'll allow you to still complete this part of the route. So it was like, I had help from my wife, her family, as well as that website. So I never really had to feel like I was completely lost with the planning of it. Um, but if you're the kind of person who, like me, if I didn't have those resources, I would probably just show up and expect to find somewhere to stay and, and uh, stuff like that. It might be a little more frustrating. So it's it's good to, to try to plan things out. And I think that's why I wasn't too nervous, you know, before. Um, definitely got nervous once I landed, but also once I landed, I was just excited to start this hike. So um, plan planning is probably key for a hike like this. We'll put a link to that website in the podcast description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of technology. I know there's some people that, you know, hardcore while you're out there, you know, you don't what you know, technology isn't, you know, you don't need it. It's ruining things. But I disagree. I, I'm listening to you and I'm like technology. I don't look at it as making things easier. I see it as making things safer and adding to our enjoyment with these activities. Yeah, and that's and like far out is a great resource for all the hikes that we have in, in the States and even other international ones. And I, at first I was like, I wish there was a far out like a uh, map guide for this, this route. But because there wasn't, you know, I finally got to do the whole, like using paper maps. Um, and it's also like the, the trail itself is really well marked. Like there'll be signs that say Kumano Kodo. And then like, right next to it where there's a different trail it'll say not kumano kodo so it's kind of like it's pretty like intuitive in that way um but it's definitely like yeah I, I i agree with you i mean technology like could when you're hiking could be a distraction if you let it be like if you have service and then you're just on social media or checking your emails it's like well then you're distracted but if you make a like what i always do is i move all those kind of apps to like a really far away page on my home screen so that i if i want to go to them i have to scroll you know four five pages to get there like i have to be wanting to see that um and then i just had the translate app and then a little japanese dictionary app and then google maps on the front page and that like that helped me kind of separate social media technology and usage from like just route finding and I thought it was fun to, to, you know, finally use paper maps and different, different elevation, you know, images to, to try to understand what a route was going to be like that day, as opposed to um, far out, which is like, you can touch two points and see exactly how many feet you're going to, you know, ascend and descend and how many miles that is. You can see where people take breaks or have water. The, the trail map for Kamano Koto is kind of similar, but it's just in a paper form. So it was, it was fun you know to to use that to navigate although the map i got wasn't waterproof so it got completely shredded by the end of the hike um because it did rain it was very humid and it would rain kind of often um but i welcomed that like analog route finding compared to just everything on your phone and it's you know there's no challenge like i didn't i wasn't unsafe with it like uh 
I knew before I left in the day what my basic plan was. So if I didn't have service, I could understand my paper map. But um, yeah, I think it, it's a privilege to then have my phone to communicate with family to let them know I'm okay. Um, I didn't take a Garmin because I knew I would have service pretty often. Um, but that being said, like there are the right right now there's a missing American on the Kumanakoto and mm. she's been missing since a month or two before I, I did my hike. Um, and she they haven't found any sign of her or anything. And so I'm not I don't want to market it as like, oh, you don't have to worry at all. Like everything if you have a paper map it's all planned out like it, it helps to plan things out and you know have technology that at least you know communicate with your family and stuff like that if you are going to do it alone it'd be fun with more than one person definitely too and it's funny i'm listening to you samir and i'm like see you talking about using paper maps sounds like me back in 2017 <laughs> using far out for the first time i'm like yeah. wow look at this i could zoom in and i can you know i could see what amenities are in this town when i get off the trail you know this is just like you know it's so so cool i'm experiencing it from the other end and meeting you halfway right. yeah <laughs> right. the generation gap there <laughs> i think it's fun i mean it gets frustrating to like have to whip out the map like a bunch of times if i'm like kind of confused but it was it's like i although it's kind of like deteriorated i still have that map and i have that with like the little stamp book that i have for for a lot of the stops and so to me it's just like a, a memento from the trip so i like having that as opposed to like the app i have for the other trails i've done i have like comments on it maybe about water sources to try to help people but i don't really have that like printoutable you know tangible memory of using that to get to get around I still buy maps because yeah, I make notes on my maps and yeah, nothing can help your recall of that experience and just opening the map up and, and looking at it, you know, it's kind of fun to look back a couple of years later and say, Oh yeah, that was a great trip. And I remember being here and there, et cetera. Now you brought up getting uh, your book stamped. Is it kind of like with the Camino, they have the passport, right? You get it stamped as you go along. Is that a similar situation? Yeah. It's um. there's like a, depending where you start because like the route I did was from west to east I didn't really see other people doing the route I did in the opposite direction but some people definitely like I walked the whole way a lot of people do a mixture of walking and tourism buses or local city buses um but there's like there during this hike there's three major shrines that you visit and they're they're really beautiful you know big impressive old shrines they're called uh, Kumano Hongo, Kumano Nachi Taisha, and Kumano Shingu. Um, and I think in like navigating to to those shrines specifically is like, I, di I knew I didn't want to take public trans tra transportation. And I'm glad I didn't because it's not just those three shrines that you get a stamp at. There's like you buy the booklet at one of the starting points. There's like little uh, tourism shops that are marketed for Kamano Koto where you can buy books or hiking gear, stuff like that just before you start. Um, so I visited one and I bought a, it's a really small, maybe like four by three inches booklet, not waterproof also. So I kept it in a little Ziploc bag. Um, but the whole thing is in like Japanese, but it's also like a lot of not like their simplest alphabet like it'll be characters that like i needed my my translating app to actually understand so i was constantly using that app to try to figure out because like they're numbered stamp spots 
but it doesn't say like where where the place is necessarily like in english at least it says it in japanese so i would be like i have no idea if this is the right stamps part and so i'd be using my phone to translate what was on the stamp you know little like uh they look like kind of like those like mini like everywhere has them now the little libraries like where it'll just be in a neighborhood yeah. and you open it and it looks kind of like that and it'll have a stamp pad and a stamp in it and so i just use that to try to read the description there and match up the right stamp because you kind of some of them bounce around they don't they're not really like one through 45 or whatever like oh you're gonna hit the number three tomorrow and then number four the next day so i was kind of conscious about making sure i wasn't like stamping the wrong area but the stamps kind of they also are related to the area that you're in like if you're in a really like one of the shrines the nachi taisha it's just like really beautiful up in the mountains after like the hardest hike of the the whole entire hike the hardest day of the hike and there's just a huge waterfall next to the shrine and it's just like super picturesque and that's what the stamp was was the waterfall so it was like kind of obvious there um but yeah they're they're pretty evenly spaced out and it's a uh, it's fun to do that and like the lines to stamp your book are never like that big um and some people even like they would have a complete uh in addition to that small stamp book they would have like a bigger book that then at the shrines they would have calligraphy done that is like usually very unique calligraphy to that shrine and the people that that use it that 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 can actually write it out with like a brush stroke it's like very particular like not not every japanese person would just know these symbols and um characters for that specific area so um although i didn't have a book like that it was, it was cool to have the little stamp book and i have a couple spots in it that aren't completed because of either not realizing there was a stamp or maybe like not wanting to backtrack in a loop area to get back to an area that had stamps it'd be like well i have to be at my accommodation by by this time at the end of the day so i'll skip that maybe come back someday or whatever but I got most of the stamps. It was, and I think to be a dual pilgrim with Camino, you have to have a certain minimum of stamps mm -hmm. in the Kumano Koto book to prove it as well. Oh, and also if you are planning to do both of them, you need to know that before you start the hike. Like you need to get, have a certain book before you get the stamps, I think. Um, like a book that is specifically for dual pilgrims. Um, so I'd already started with my book. So I was like, oh, well, I already know that if I do Camino, I'm probably not going to be a dual, get the like certification. So I was like, well, you can be a little looser with the stamps that you're getting on Kamano Koto then. But it was never like too out of the way to get, you know, a stamp or the only place I remember not wanting to backtrack was because it was like a really, it would have been like a whole nother day. And I just realized like, oh, this is probably because a lot of people either take their time with this section or they are on a bus or something. Um, but although my book's not complete, I still have a lot of stamps and it's like my memento for the trip. It's like, to me, a trophy, you know, like mm -hmm. Arizona trail, they give you that copper belt buckle. So I have this little booklet next to my, my belt buckle as like little, little camping achievements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's always cool. So I, I, I think we all kind of collect our little mementos and, whether it's a patch or a passport book when you're, you know, they, they stamp it. That's all pretty cool. While you were in Japan, any 
interesting wildlife encounters. I know we see these beautiful pictures of the flowers in, in Japan and, and the different types of trees. Did you have any unique experiences? I'm trying to remember. I don't think I really, um, I, I like, I've like started to enjoy birding. And so I have like the Merlin app, which you can then download a geographic region's data, uh, sound data. And then when you're there, you just press record on the app and it'll listen to all the bird calls and then it'll just list out what birds they are. So it was fun using that. And I saw, you know, some birds that, that I'd obviously never seen because I was in a different geographic location but i didn't see like oh i saw a bunch of snakes um there's a lot of snakes definitely and i didn't really see like bears or anything i saw deer deer are pretty common in, in that part of japan like it's near nara it's in the nara prefecture i think or no it's in the wakayama prefecture but it's right next to nara which is where a lot of people go and then there's like a famous shrine where you can pet deer and feed deer and they'll like bow to you um hmm. So it's near that, and so and I saw signs also for like, oh, and 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 uh, gun hunting restrictions here. So I know that there's a lot of like, there's some bears and there's a lot of wild boar, but I didn't really have any experiences with any of those. Like luckily, <laughs> although it'd be like, like right now, like I said, I'm I'm in Big Sky, Montana, and I've seen six grizzly bears already. Like, <laughs> so I, I'm happy that like. <laughs> those were all from a car whereas like in japan i was always on my feet so i don't know if i would have welcomed like seeing a bear at any distance really but it was cool to see all the birds and the the snakes were were interesting i saw like so many of them um but yeah i didn't not nothing like really big but I, i'm pretty happy about that so <laughs> yeah it's always good to go into a different area and, and get to see some of the unique wildlife or fauna in that area yeah that's, that's there's a, a lot of different plants definitely too and I and I loved seeing that like a lot of different flowers or a lot of their forests there are just like cedar and so it was cool to like this forest smelled a little different than what I'm used to too mm -hmm. so it was uh it wasn't just like different some different animals and birds it was like every everything that was alive felt you know unique and different to that specific area and so that's a big a uh, uh, plus you know for the experience of that trail Based on the excitement I'm hearing from you, I'm guessing you would you would recommend this as a trail for people to do. Someone looking for an international backpacking trip, I would definitely recommend it, especially since it, it it's shorter. Um, like I I I didn't want to. I was like, well, summer's coming up, and I'm starting grad school this fall, and then so I'm gonna be a lot busier. So I was like, dang, this might be like my last summer for a little bit to be able to do like a through hike, and so I've been. I was at first like, oh, I don't want to just do it like a short, you know, it took me five days and I was like, oh, I don't want it to do, you know, something just like a quick hike because that's not, you know, what I'm used to the last two years doing. But now that I have like, hopefully a hike like uh, like that planned next month, um, it, like in retrospect, I'm like, that was like a perfect length doing the Kamano Koto because it wasn't just doing the hike. It was traveling all the way there. And then even after my hike, I still was traveling around for a few weeks with my wife, but traveling back after that, I was like, I can't imagine like doing a hike there with my le uh, level of language proficiency. I was like, I don't think I would do it much longer and anything shorter would have just been not worth my time. Um, so I think it's fun for a lot of people because if they're looking for a challenge, they'll find it. 
if they're looking to be uncomfortable, they'll find that. But if they don't want to be too uncomfortable and they don't want it to be, you know, you know, you, oh, you need a map and a compass to get around kind of hike, like, then it's a perfect hike because it's so many people have done it. So many people do it every single year. The resources, I imagine, will just get better and better for, you know, tourists and international pilgrims. Uh, so I think I would recommend it. And I would definitely, if, even if someone doesn't want to do it, they should just look it up so they know a little more about it and know that that kind of hike is, you know, is out there. And like I said, Japan has, you know, this isn't the only uh, Shinto, Shinto or Shingon uh, Buddhism related hike pilgrimage. Like they have other ones related to Shingon Buddhism. And they also have just other kind of like U.S. style, just Alpine routes, stuff like that. Um, that aren't, you know, pilgrimages where you are visiting shrines all the time. So there's like a big variety of stuff to do in Japan. And I'm excited to kind of learn more about what there is to do and uh, try different things out because I really did like not, you know, I liked staying in an accommodation. And although like I love staying in my tent and just being in the wilderness for a long time, it was cool to do something different. So if you haven't done you know, an accommodation style hike like this in Japan or in Europe or somewhere that does that, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to try something new. Yeah. I'm a kind of, it's about the journey, not the destination type of hiker. And it sounds like your experience, your journey was the destination because you were experiencing something interesting. I mean, the whole experience was interesting. Like you said, traveling there, the places you stayed, you know, your wife going out there to join you. Yeah, and it's always good to, uh, when you're going to another country, especially another continent, to just have like an open mind and to understand that you're going to be, you know, day one, day two, you're, you're going to really have to take in a lot of what's going on around you to, you know, not necessarily not to, to look stupid or something, but just to, to know that you're not, um, you're not being rude or encroaching on a small community space, you know. You want to look up stuff about this hike and know where you can camp so that you're not just pitching a tent in someone's yard and then giving a bad reputation for all the other like international hikers that are going to, you know, thousands that'll be after you. So it's a, it, it, I, I, I would agree like the, the, the destination was a, a big part of the journey for this one, but it was in a way where once I was there, then I was more comfortable, like having a different experience than what I'm used to. Whereas if I do a through hike in the U.S., I, I, I know how long I can hike with a certain amount of food. I know how long I can go without smelling too bad for a shower. You know, it's a, it's right. a different kind of set of logistics. And so I'd recommend it to people and uh, especially to people who are open to a completely different kind of experience hiking. Yeah. It sounds great. And yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I also love that solitude getting out there in nature and when you're, doing your through hiking here in the States, yet yeah, your destination oftentimes from day to day is just getting to the, the next lean to, which is fun. It's, it's an interesting hike, but yeah, every day was bringing you to a new and interesting destination at that. Yeah. You have, I'm going to be looking at that. And I wasn't even aware of that trail until, until you brought it to my attention, Samir. So uh, they're also like Japan is developing new routes right now too. I think they're trying to do their own type of PCT, like complete length of the country hike where they connect a lot of other small trails so it, it's probably a fun country to for a lot of backpackers to just keep on their list right now because it seems like there's already a lot of opportunities 
there's a lot of industry for it there and there's going to be more going forward. What do you have coming up next? Um, I'm, I've been very like not decided about it, but like right now it's early July and I start my, um, I'm going to start grad school in Flagstaff for environmental sciences at the end of August. And so my plan, if I didn't get into grad school, was to Sobo the CDT, um, which is like bigger than anything I've done. And so, so I was somewhat relieved because I didn't feel too ready for that <laughs> when I had got accepted to school. But since I got accepted and I was like, well, I have to do orientation at the end of August. Um, I think I'm right now caught between either the Bigfoot Trail in Northern California and the Numupoyo or John Muir Trail in the Sierra. Um, I'm probably going to try to do uh, Numupoyo and uh, see if I can get a permit to start from Yosemite. But if not, I'm fine starting in the southern uh, terminus from Mount Whitney because I was there last summer. I kind of have some familiarity with hiking that area. Um, but I'm hoping to do one of those and then I'll start school after that. But uh, I, I have to squeeze in some sort of intense uh, hike. <laughs> so we'll see what I choose between those. But I've started to, to fish a lot in like backcountry fishing on Colorado Trail. And even in Kumano Koto, I, I'd caught some fish with my uh, backpacking rod in Japan. And so I'm hoping to do the Numupoyo because it's in the Sierra and there's just like an, a, amazing fishing opportunities. But we'll see which, which one I'm able to actually schedule in. Well, we'll definitely have you back on to share those experiences with us. How can we find you, Samir, if we want to follow your journeys and your travels here? Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, at Samir Meziab, S-A-M-I-R-M-E-Z-I-A-B. Um, and I have a YouTube channel, Habibi Hikes. I've been kind of lazy with putting up content there. I have a huge backlog, but I'm hoping once I'm not just traveling around this summer, I'll have a little more time to, uh, to actually upload some more of the things I've videotaped. But yeah, that's my YouTube and then Instagram. And also it can be contacted through email. It's just my first and last name, Samir Meziab at gmail.com. Um, but I encourage anybody that has questions about Arizona Trail, Colorado Trail, um, even some questions on the long trail, um, or especially questions on Kamano Koto in Japan to just reach out to me and ask any questions or if they've done the hike, I'd love to talk to them about their experiences. But I'm super reachable at those um, those handles. All right, we'll make sure we add that to the description as well, your information so people can ask you the questions they may have. As always, Samir, it's a pleasure speaking with you and uh, thank you for being generous enough to give up your time to share this experience with us. Yeah, thanks for having me back on, Martin. I look forward to talking again in the future with the next the next trek. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done so yet, go to our website, pommelbearhikes.com. Listen to past episodes. Check us out on social media. Go to our YouTube channel, Martin Outside. All those links are there. In addition to that, you can buy our book or see what you're missing out on if you're not a Patreon member yet. Remember to get outside, have fun, and be safe. This episode of Pop Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.